Amen. Good to see you all here tonight. We are now going through the epistle to the Philippians. Last week was mainly an introduction, but we did consider the opening two verses. Remember that Paul had invested much in Philippi. When Paul and Silas arrived in Philippi, they did so as strangers, and they knew no one they could stay with. They were on their own dime, and having been sent out from the church in Antioch, this work, really all the works on this this trip, but they were true missions church plants. And that was Paul's heart, to go somewhere where nobody else had been, and Preach the gospel. He writes in Romans 15, 20, Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. And it was Paul's custom when he would arrive in a new place, he would go to the synagogues and he would preach and he would teach to the Jews first. And then he would turn to the Gentiles. But Philippi had no synagogue. Remember Philippi, it's under Roman Control, but I didn't mention this last week. The Bible makes special mention about Philippi being a Roman colony. And that's the only time it's used. And what it means is Philippi was not only under Roman control, but it was Roman citizen. It was everybody who lived there was Romans. And so it was like a second Rome. And so everything that went on there was, was Roman and and so you didn't have a whole lot of Christianity. You didn't have a whole lot of influence. You didn't have, I mean, you didn't have Jews. A lot of that just wasn't allowed. And so remember, they would go outside the town. They would pray by the river. And Paul and Silas, they go. And apparently there was some kind of ladies meeting that day. Amen. And Paul's preaching to the ladies. And Lydia, God pricks her heart. And she's born again. And she's the beginning of that church. And I find that remarkable because we live in a day when people try to say the Bible is against women. Really, because uh, the way I read it, she was the first convert there in Philippi, and that was the beginnings of that church. And so after that, remember, Paul, he's, he's in the city, and he's preaching, and he's doing his thing, and there's this lady that keeps following him, and she had an evil spirit. Well, he finally had enough of that, and he cast out the evil spirit that she had, and that made her master's mad because she was a soothsayer and she was making them all kind of money through her divination. And they take Paul and Silas and they bring them before the magistrates and they say, these guys are they're preaching stuff that's contrary to what we believe. And well, they were commanded to beat them. And that was a beating with rods. It was a very painful thing to endure. History records people would even die from it. And so they were beaten, and then they were cast into the innermost part of the jail. And it was that night at midnight, shortly thereafter, they were praying and singing praises to God. And there was a great earthquake, and the jail opens, and their bands are loosed. And then the jailer gets saved. Amen. And he takes them back to his house to watch them, and he washes their stripes, and they have a meal together, and he just treated them very well. And it's just interesting, because in Christ, there's neither male nor female. We have Lydia being the first there. And then it's neither bond nor free. And we have the jailer helping the prisoners. And it's, it's neither Greek nor Jew. And so just these amazing things are happening there. Really a, a place where the, the, what the gospel is, it's being demonstrated. You, you got a, a Jewish woman and you got a Roman jailer. And they're beginnings of a church. And just praise God for how he was working there. And, and so 
Paul, remember, he's led out of the jail and he's at the jailer's house and the magistrates send the sergeants over and say, you need to tell these guys to leave. Paul says, oh no. We're Roman citizens and you beat us uncondemned. If you want us to leave, go tell the magistrates to come and tell us to leave. That's my kind of guy, amen? And so they do. Magistrates find out that they're Roman citizens. They're scared because they've beat a man, a man or two men uncondemned and... Well, they come and they ask Paul nicely, will you please leave? And he does. And he continues his missionary journey. And uh, having been beaten with rods after the miracle at the jail, you can bet Paul is really desirous for this church in Philippi to go forward, to be grounded and to be a solid church. By the grace of God, that's what's happened in a city completely dominated by the Romans and full of idolatry, the Philippian church was able to be established in the midst of tribulation and persecution. And they even retained strong doctrine. They didn't compromise. And so Paul here, he's writing to his friends in the ministry. And we can imagine that as he would pen this letter or maybe speak it and somebody wrote for him, as this letter is being penned, you can imagine that he's reminded of all that had taken place in Philippi. And he's overcome with joy because of the fact that they're still there and that this church has been established and that they have right doctrine. In fact, what you'll find is this is the only epistle where Paul opens his letter greeting the bishops and deacons. We talked about that last week as well. Not only is he greeting the saints, he's greeting leadership there. And evidently this church had good leadership in place and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And with that in mind, let's begin tonight by reading verses 3 through 6. It says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we see here in verse 3 that Paul is thankful when the church in Philippi is brought to his remembrance. I can just imagine his mind being flooded with memories. I handed a letter once to Brother Furs from the chaplain at Walla Walla. And just to see his face light up, to hear the ministry still going there. Men are still being saved. And that's what people want when they serve someone. They want to hear later, it's still going. People are still faithful. My labors weren't in vain. And, and so Paul here, as this is happening, you can just imagine he's being flooded with these memories. And upon remembering the saints in Philippi, he likely would think of that day when he met Lydia and he led her to the Lord there at the riverside, and, and maybe, we, uh, maybe he can hear the praises they were singing unto God, him and Silas, as they were in the prison. And his mind goes back to that time when God miraculously opened up the jail and freed them. Uh, he no doubt would have recalled the beating that he endured there in trying to establish this church. And maybe he would think of the marks that were in his body for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He might have thought of all the blood, sweat, and tears that he had poured into this town just to see a church started where there was darkness, to see a light spring up, to see people know Christ as their Savior. And now, as this letter is being penned, he knows my labor wasn't in vain. And this made him very thankful for those who had stayed with it. And you can imagine how thankful he really was. And this isn't just some generic thankfulness. He's thankful to God. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And Paul recognized God's blessing in this and His mercy and His grace upon them. And he, he wanted God to get the glory for His thankfulness. It was great that they were faithful. But that was only possible through God. And let's not forget that Paul, while penning this, is under house arrest. He was not experiencing freedom. And his future is uncertain. And yet, despite the circumstance that he's in, he's joyful. That's amazing. Instead of focusing on his bonds, instead of focusing on his lack of freedom and what might lie ahead in his own life, he's able to find joy in this situation. He finds occasion to be thankful. And I want to tell you, even in very trying times, the children of God can find a reason to be thankful. God's good hand is always at work. And His blessings are there if we just learn to count our blessings. It might just be that we need to call some things to our remembrance. And so if you're having difficulty being thankful in your present circumstances, then may I recommend you go back and you remember some things. Just remember the day you were saved. Remember the day that the Lord found you out. And you went from being on the path to hell, to being rescued from that, and now having a home in heaven. And there's so much to be thankful for. We just have to remember those things and how God has worked in our lives down through the years. Just think about the goodness of the Lord. I love that testimony we watched tonight as he talked about the vineyard. Just to pause and to see that and to know how God is working, and, and just to think about His goodness. Many times, out of sight is out of mind. And when we lose sight of the goodness of the Lord, it'll also leave our minds. This church in Philippi may have been out of Paul's sight, but they're not out of his mind. Now, Paul had been through so much as a leader in the Christian faith, in so many churches that were being established westward into the Roman Empire, in any leadership position, you will often see a trend unfold, which is like a swinging pendulum. And outside of the core of a church, there's always fluctuations that are taking place. There's always cycles that people are going through. It's been said that people will first idolize you. Now, a better word would be admire but in order to give this illustration, I guess the person had to have I-Z-E word. So they went with the word idolized. But it begins with being idolized. In time, you will be criticized, which leads to being ostracized. In some cases, you will be marginalized. And in the worst cases, you'll be demonized. 
I will say further preaching on that for when we get to a leadership passage. Clearly the hope is to always write any relationship, but unfortunately you may not be given that opportunity. And I know Paul would have experienced all these stages in his ministry because I've experienced them myself and Paul went through way more and way more churches. And while deep down we know this comes with the territory, it still hurts very deeply to go through it each time because we have love for people. And just this week, I was experiencing a very painful swing in this pendulum and it affected me very deeply to the point that I struggled even to study for this tonight and frankly didn't want to be up here. But as God would have it by His grace... As I brought myself to sit down and try to study in preparation for this message, the Holy Ghost had us land on verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I was overwhelmed with many emotions centering around how I'm a failure and how this church is better off with someone else. And I began to dig into this verse and... God just hit me with the fact that I need to remember that you would be here tonight. And I just began to thank God for every remembrance of you. Yeah, the pain is still there. But I was able to find a way to be thankful. And that lifted my spirit. Do you hear what I'm saying? I call to mind all the letters of appreciation and encouragement that I've received and all that was said in October during Pastor Appreciation Month. And I called to mind how Adrian and I had just been treated to supper Monday night from a young couple in our church. And I began to call to mind some past victories and I called to mind how faithful all of you are. And this verse became very real to me. Thank my God for you. I do. It's hard to get up and preach when nobody's out there. Brother Garmo mentioned in his Sunday school lesson this past Sunday how all of you are needed here. And he mentioned, he said, if anything, it's an encouragement to the pastor when people show up. And I want to tell you that's absolutely true. Paul had given much to see this church in Philippi be established And it did his heart good to remember they were still going strong. And a pastor wants wherever he labors to go forward victoriously. My desire ever since God placed it on my heart to be here was that this church would just go forward. That's always been my desire. Who is going to take this church forward when Pastor Williams steps down? And I just want us to keep going on for the glory of God. And listen, you don't have to look hard to find something wrong with your pastor. Any pastor. There's only one perfect leader. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one perfect shepherd. And that's Christ. So as Paul was in a very difficult circumstance here, he's still finding opportunity to be thankful. And he's thankful for this church in Philippi. And I I want you to know, it was a very difficult week. 
And, uh, and I was thankful for this church in Rapid City. I hope you are too. And I'm just trying to emphasize how being thankful, it makes a big difference. When you're going through hard circumstances, when you turn your mind to the goodness of God, it changes your, your spirit. It, it just helps you to get through the circumstances. The circumstance is still there. But it helps you to get through it. And so if you're going through trying times right now, try calling to mind just the things you're thankful for and how the Lord has blessed your life and, and it will help. No, it will not make it all go away, but it will help as you go through it all. Now in verse 4, we find what helps us to be thankful. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy. If you want to be thankful for others, pray for others. Paul was a man of prayer. And it was his prayers for others which helped him to be thankful. And his prayers were for all the saints in Philippi. Not just for some circle. Not just for the hunting crowd. Or the soccer crowd. (laughs) Amen, Breck. His prayer was for all the saints. Not just some inner circle. When we pray for others, especially those who hurt us, then we will find ourselves becoming less hurt and more concerned about their spiritual well-being. When we pray for others, we'll become burdened for them in a good way. And you can either allow people to be a burden to you, or you can be burdened for them. And it's prayer that makes the difference. And so if you are finding yourself becoming unthankful, try praying. Maybe there's somebody that you're unthankful for. Pray for them. It it changes things. It'll change your heart in the matter. They may not change, but you will change. Are you praying for others? Are you praying for those in our church? Are you a person of prayer? Not just Wednesday nights. We print the prayer sheets for a reason. And it's not just to give you something to read off. It's... Something to help you pray throughout the week. And I hope you're praying for our church. Christ died and He shed His blood that we might have access to come before Him and present our supplications, our prayers, our intercessions, our giving of thanks. God delights in hearing from us. God delights in answering prayer according to His will. And He will cause His ear to hear those who are humble enough to come before Him in prayer and those who are not regarding iniquity in their heart. Now, we know that some prayers are not so joyful because of what we may need to be praying for. Some situations are just heartbreaking. We might be praying for a wayward child, a marriage on the rocks, Broken families, and and it's not joyful to 
to have to pray for those things. And there are some circumstances it's just difficult. When Paul addressed the Galatians, he did so being grieved for them. And he begins after his introduction there by saying this, I marvel that ye are so, re- so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. When Paul addresses the Corinthians, he does so getting right into the fact that there's divisions among you. And it was just a burden to him. I mean, it was, it was grieving him. And, and, and sometimes when we, when we pray and we, and we do that, it's, it's difficult. Now, obviously, the Apostle Paul was concerned for all the churches that he was a part of and had a hand in. But to this church in Philippi, what's unique is, he says, I'm praying for you, and I have joy when I do. Did you catch that there in verse 4? Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. This was not a burden for him. He was not grieved over this church. This is kind of one of those things that you look at and it just says, okay, I can keep going. You understand what I'm saying? When you have those victories, sometimes, you know, it's, you're trying to reach people and it seems like you can't and then God gives you that one. You know what I'm saying? It's like that when you play golf and you have that one good hit. And so Paul here, he's, he's coming before them with joy. And we need to be this kind of church. We need to be the kind of people that when people think about us, they're joyful. We need those that we support to think about us and be joyful. I'm thankful that to my knowledge we are. In fact, I received an encouraging text this week from J.D. Leak. He's our church planner we support in Allen, Texas. And he wrote this, Thank you for your faithful prayers and support, especially during this past extremely difficult year. We have real struggles and difficulties just like y'all. And there's just no possible way we could have even survived it without y'all. Thank you, the Leak family. That does your heart good. We, We should strive to continue to be this kind of church that when our missionaries abroad and even here in the States, they bow their heads and pray, they... They're joyful that they remembered Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. Paul is joyful because as John the Beloved wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. This church in Philippi was a church of truth. They were walking in it. And this fact causes Paul to see past the maltreatment he received there. How easy it would have been to give up. But he's joyful and he's, I believe this helps the Apostle Paul be able to continue to suffer for Christ and to keep going and to know that it's worth it all and to know that I, I, I can do this. And he can look back in the past and he can say, man, there's a church in Philippi. And it brought him joy. May we always be This kind of people will walk in truth, in love. As individuals, not just as a church corporate, 
But as individuals, we should desire to live our lives in such a way that when people think upon us, they're joyful. And I don't want to be a burden upon anybody. And I, and I open my big fat mouth, and I do, but, you know, that's not, that's not my heart's desire, amen? I really do hate drama. I mean, I'm thankful for my kids, but I'm thankful I only had one teenage girl, amen? I don't know what I would do with three or four. I, I just don't need drama in my life. I, anyway. So he's joyful. He's prayerful. First of all, he's thankful. He's prayerful. He's joyful. Now in verse 5 and 6, we find what it is Paul is thankful and joyful for. The Bible says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is thankful and he's joyful for their fellowship in the gospel. This word fellowship, it means a partnership. Paul is thankful that they were partners in the ministry with him from the very beginning. For years, they had fellowship together. We'll see later on in this book in chapter 4 how they would supply Paul's need when he was on his journey. And he's thankful for them. These were partners to him. They were co-laborers of the gospel. And they were a support to him not only just emotionally with the joy that he received, but like I said, they helped him financially. And there's an ecumenical movement today where many are saying that all churches need to fellowship together or that we all need to partner up. But there's a major problem with that scripturally. I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says, fellowship in the gospel. You see, that's the key for partnership. When we're talking about ministry things. I'm not saying to ostracize somebody and not try to reach them for Christ. But I am saying when it comes to our church and churches, there's a qualifier. And that is if we're going to partner up, we have to have the same gospel. Fellowship in the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, it's the gospel of Christ. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and salvation in Him alone. Short, I mean, in short, that's the gospel. When Paul addressed the Galatians, and I mentioned how he marveled that they had so soon removed themselves from the gospel of Christ, he went on to write this in the next verse. He says, which is not another. He says, you've been removed into another gospel, but he says, it's not another gospel. And he writes, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And Paul went on to say in that letter, he said, I didn't give them space even for an hour. It actually says, no, not an hour. And what he's saying, I didn't give them the opportunity. I wasn't going to shoulder up with that. I was not going to put up with false doctrine in this church. And he says, I cannot partner with those that are going to say that salvation is something other than Christ alone. Understand, I'm not against any church who preaches the pure gospel. I'm not. If it doesn't say Baptist, but they preach the gospel, praise God. I know that rubs my independent Baptist brethren the wrong way, but so be it. We got far too much division as it is. 
Jude, he calls it our common salvation. It's not a Baptist salvation. It's okay if y'all understand. I'm I'm Baptist to the core, okay? Well, I'm I'm not about to tell you we're going to drop Baptist. Salvation in Christ. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I wish they used the King James Bible. I do. I'm, I'll die with the King James. I believe it is the Bible we ought to use. But if they're not convinced on that, I don't think they're the devil. Yeah, I wish they had more holy standards, especially when it comes to the area of music. But I rejoice that the gospel is going forth and that people are being saved. And I won't have any in this pulpit preach that aren't convinced on the King James issue. But I'm not against any who faithfully preach the gospel. However, I cannot and I will not partner with any on a church level who have perverted the gospel of Christ. Curtis Hudson famously preached a sermon entitled, Things That Are Different Are Not The Same. And of course that's true. I love that simple logic, amen. You can't have one saying salvation is in Christ alone and one saying salvation is in Christ plus works or plus whatever. Things that are different are not the same. By the way, that goes for the King James. I'll save that for when we redo the King James series. I realize one needs to be careful how far they take this thought. I am sure that if we went down with all of our missionaries and we talked and we compared and we debated, we would learn that there are areas we disagree. But is it an area that's worth dividing over? And so I know we have to be careful how far we take it. There are some that will say, well, you're, you're close communion and I'm closed communion and whatever. Do you preach Christ and Him crucified? So our fellowship is to be in the gospel. And so long as our core doctrines are the same, I can deal with that. I've mentioned before, you can take a lot of the churches in our city and you can line up our statements of faith next to their statements of faith and you're going to find generally the same thing. Am I making anybody uncomfortable about this? Or Okay. It felt like a, a, an intensity just... Listen, I'm a Baptist by conviction. Amen. So don't doubt me on that. But any group that perverts the gospel, we are not to partner with them in relation to the ecumenical movement that is sweeping our nation today. So-called interfaith prayer meetings are not biblical. It's not biblical to gather the Muslims and the Buddhists and the JWs and the Mormons and the Christians and the... It just doesn't even make sense saying it. Sharing a platform with those who preach a works-based salvation is not biblical. Sharing a platform with those who preach baptismal regeneration is not biblical. Sharing a platform with those who believe a church can save you, it is not biblical. Sharing a platform with those who minimalize Christ's role in salvation is not biblical. We are united tonight 
Because we have a fellowship in the Gospel. We have partnered together for the Gospel's sake. We are not here to have fellowship, as we use the word today, socially. That's good, I'll get to that in a minute. But we are here because we are a fellowship. Socializing's good. It's even needed. We're, we are witnessing now just how important socializing is amid these ridiculous lockdowns. I read an article recently that stated that teenagers in Rapid City, South Dakota, suicide is up 233% because they're not getting the social outlet that they're used to having. They, these lockdowns, they're, they're hurting those who are hurting. I could give you report after report on this issue. There was a 16-year-old in Maine named Spencer Smith. And he took his life. And his suicide note to his dad said, I just had a hard time coping with the isolation. In the month of October in Japan, suicides outnumbered deaths from COVID-19. They're having trouble dealing with the isolation and the lack of physical interaction. And these stats prove that socializing through technological platforms cannot meet the need that God has put it into people to have personal interaction. And so I'm all for socializing. Don't misunderstand my point. I'm all for getting together. And I think any time that a church can gather together, it's a good thing because it strengthens our bond together. But I have to add this. It's a two-way street. We can have all the gatherings we want, but if you don't attend... It'll never benefit you. I've said it before, and many preachers have come through and commented how good it is to see this church stick around in fellowship after services. And I try to get done early to do that. I'm failing tonight. I'm thankful that y'all don't just run out the door, but that you will stick around and you'll talk and you'll visit. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. And to take it one step further... Please be sure to go out of your way to go up to those that maybe are just here on Sunday morning. Shake their hand or whatever we can do in COVID, wave at them. Let them know that you're glad that they're here. Now, if they run out the door, what can we do? But don't be guilty of talking to your four and no more. So the fellowship that we're reading about here in our text, it's not spending time together simply to socialize. But it is a fellowship or a partnership between Paul and the church who believe the same thing about the gospel of Christ. And if we first don't come together in the gospel, if that's not our reason for partnering together, then we are guilty of just being a group of people who visit each other every week. And when that happens, we become nothing more than a social club with good morals. At least I hope you have good morals. Now, I I genuinely hope you like the social aspect of our church. I I hope you do, but don't let that be the sole reason for gathering together. And I'm sure there are very friendly people in all kinds of different religions and teachings. We've met all kinds of friendly Buddhists in Korea. And if all I'm after is the fellowship, I might find myself in a false teaching. And so with this in mind, why are you here? 
I know it's Wednesday night. I don't know why I always preach these on Wednesday night, but just act like it's all new to you. Amen. Why are you here? Are you here because you like the social aspect? Are you here because you like some... Well, our, our young people aren't in here. I'll say it anyway. Are you here because you like somebody of the opposite sex? Or are you here because you are partners in the gospel? I hope you are here first because you believe that we preach a pure doctrine. So if you are here as partners in the gospel, then are you doing your part? Are you serving as you are able? You say, well, I can't really do anything anymore. Please pray. We can put people to work. We always need work at the press. We can always use more servants. Are you witnessing to others? Are you inviting others to church? We are to be partners all working towards the same end. And we'll have to leave verse 6 for next week. So in closing, are you thankful? Are you prayerful? Are you joyful? And are you in this fellowship for the right reasons? Let us pray.